Welcome to the Politics Guys Supporters Exclusive After Show, where we talk about, you know, those things we didn't get to in the regular show or semi, sometimes even non-political thoughts or, you know, whatever happens to be occurring to us. Uh, so, Jay, uh, you know, I thought we could start maybe with uh, a, a sad, a very sad event, the death of a conservative, I, I hate to call him a pundit because that seems to be almost diminishing because uh, yeah. that term is so- a lot more than that. Yeah, yeah uh, Charles Krautheimer. So, you know, Jay, you're, you're our- our voice from the right, though. You know, yeah. Do you want to start uh, with it? Charles Krauthammer uh, was really one of the great uh, conservative intellectuals um, uh, of the last, uh, you know, three four decades, and and really it, it, in a lot of ways, sort of sort of an heir to uh, William F. Buckley. Uh, and, and if you consider his, his life, uh, what he did, uh, again, he was a doctor of psychiatry, uh, start, he had been, uh, paralyzed since he was in his, um, uh, early twenties, uh, and, and did not let that slow him down. In fact, insisted that, that, uh, he sort of be held to the same standard as, as anyone else. Uh, well, yeah, there's just amazing really frustrated uh, by the idea of, of, of being perceived as disabled. Uh, so yeah, he had strong feelings on that. Well, there's that amazing um, story that this happened during a, a a diving incident when he was at Harvard Medical School, yeah. and he still finished on time with his class, even undergoing, you know, this 14 months of therapy and, you know, yeah. being a quadriplegic and so forth. And so this guy was not only incredibly smart, he was one of the grittiest human beings you're likely ever to encounter. And and he he began his career actually writing uh, his, his political writing career uh, for the New Republic. Yeah, which is uh, an of organ places. of the left. Yeah, um, and uh, you know, sort of sort of uh, grew and evolved, um, uh, and uh, again became sort of a, a bastion on the right from the you know from the Washington Post. He was sort of their in-house um, uh, right-wing columnist and then, uh, right uh along appearances with George on, Will. yeah. Yeah. And, and then appearances on Fox news. Um, uh, but you know, things, things about Krauthammer that, that I particularly have admired and, you know, I try to emulate, uh, is he's not the kind of guy who raised his voice and shouted. Uh, he did not, uh, uh, belittle or, uh, uh, um, demean uh his his opponents or adversaries uh he has very much a sense of humor uh i would i would say um but but it wasn't uh it, it was never mean-spirited uh and and he was always you know what he said was and again i'm stumbling through it because it should, just shows the example of, of what i'm not uh, so well thought out uh before people have, have said Something that was incredible about about uh, Krauthammer was he sort of spoke in in perfectly formed paragraphs. Yes, uh, it wasn't it wasn't like you and I sort of the you know fumbling through the um well this thing kind of I mean he basically he, uh, think of the smartest person you know multiply that by I don't know two or three or four and maybe you're kind of in Charles Krauthammer territory. Yeah, uh, so it's it's a great loss uh, for the country. Um, and and I'm not saying just as a conservative because he was a, a great voice for for policies that sure. I typically advance. And when something else that I think that that I want to point out about Krauthammer is he was consistently true to uh, his convictions, uh, even if those convictions differed from what uh, the Republican Party or the conservative movement or a particular uh, a political figure was doing. And, and I think that's that's so important. You, you we. We see so many people uh, these days who are 
apologists for a candidate, if you will. You know, hey, I'm going on to defend Trump. I'm going, and, and it's it's a different a different universe than yes. uh, people of, hey, I'm here to talk about this idea. Um, and, uh, you know, in some cases, this idea may lead me to support a, a particular politician or his his or her, her stance, but but they're not out there shilling for the politician. Yeah, absolutely. And I should point out that uh, this week, uh, National Review's Jonah Goldberg has a great column on uh, Charles Krauthammer. And there's one thing that I wanted to pull out from that uh, uh uh, Krauthammer said at one point, you're betraying your whole life if you don't say what you think and you don't say it honestly and bluntly. And I thought that sums up Charles Krauthammer, I think, to a T. Uh, he, he will be missed. Uh, and so rest in peace, Charles Krauthammer. Yeah. Now, also, I, I wanted to, before we get to the Canada thing, just briefly, uh, speaking of Washington Post conservative columns, George Will wrote a, a column in the Post this week that's getting a lot of play where he basically, he came out and said, don't vote, don't vote for Republicans for Congress because they have essentially been so – they have decided to cede so much of their authority and be so intellectually, well, craven, basically to sell out. He, he, pay, he mm-hmm. particularly called out uh, Paul Ryan who said, sold his soul for a tax cut and is it worth it to you know, besmirch yourself and your reputation by dealing with this horrific man? What did you, you, know, what did you get for this? And a tax uh, cut. Yeah. You got a tax <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I say I, I usually um, uh, agree with George Will. Um, uh, I, I'm not so sure I do in, in, in this case. I mean, I, I think he's he's right on the uh, diagnosis, uh, wrong on the prescription. Well, yeah, uh, well, OK, will. I could see where you take issue with that. But certainly hit the And Will's point is that the Republicans need to be taught a lesson basically, is his point here. And that putting them in minority status will do that. And and I could see where as a Republican, you would say, well, I don't know, that doesn't sound like the kind of, that's a little too harsh. But but right. certainly, <laughs> it's hard to argue. I mean, we've seen this both from Paul Ryan, we've seen this from Mitch McConnell saying, well, we're not going to do this thing if the president doesn't like it. And to the framers, you would think that that would be bizarre. This idea that what they saw as the first branch of government would be basically saying, oh, well, we can't do this because the executive might not like it, essentially. Well, that's just, you know, that's just, that's just bonkers. That's just turning the world on its head, essentially. And you you look over time, the the legislative branch, both under Democratic and and, and Republican control, has ceded so much of its authority to the president. We become a presidential government for better or for worse. And I think if you're a a kind of a constitutionalist, as George Will is, you would say that's almost certainly for worse. Yeah, no, and I, I I agree with that, that part of it. Um, And, you know, I, as, as a constitutionalist conservative, I I think, you know, one of the points we often like to make is there's a reason that uh, Congress uh, is is listed in Article One. Yeah. Um, now, more often than not, that that argument is made in you know Carter, uh, Congress is listed in Article One and the courts are listed in Article Three. Um, but you know there was, and this this goes back a little ways. There was, you know, censuses build up the the creation of the imperial presidency as you know as we call it that that happened. It, largely, in my sense, is it you know was part of the Cold War. Uh, because there was this idea that, you know, the huge global stakes and you needed one strong leader and uh, uh, everyone united uh, behind them. And there was this one guy who had the codes and could push the button and literally blow up the world. Um, So I think we sort of got used to that 
you know that that world, uh, and and Congress uh, then unnecessarily ceded a lot of its other powers on on other issues. So um, I agree with him there. Um, there's something else to be said though that uh, look, Congress doesn't operate in a vacuum. Um, the Constitution allows a, the president a veto, and if if I'm uh, uh, in Congress, I, I certainly sure. don't want to pass something that is then going to be vetoed by my own party's president, uh, particularly if I don't have the votes to override it, which is in almost <laughs> there would be almost no situation I would see where, um, uh, you know, Democrats. I don't know. I don't know what they would do. What Democrats would do if if there was an attempt to uh, to override a Trump veto. Anyway, but. Um, so look, I, I get that, and I also get that there's there is a uh, sense that you don't want to do something that embarrasses or puts the uh, uh, nominal leader of your party in a difficult position. Now, of course, the problem is the nominal leader of your party has has no qualms about doing things that exactly. embarrass or put their, you, you in a difficult position. Um, so it's it's uh, you know, and you know, that, yeah, I think it's a really great point. I hadn't thought about it that way until you you said that. But you know, the fundamental question, it seems to me, you could say is. Is this party, uh, you know, Republican or Democratic Party, in the case of Republican Party, is this party about a person or is it about a set of ideas and ideals? And I think when you make it too much about a person, you essentially do sell your soul and sell the soul of your party for maybe some short-term expediency. And I think that's exactly what George Will is pointing out. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I, I will, I'll go back to the history of the Republican Party, which was initially formed as, you know, or, or evolved out of the Whig Party, uh, which which uh, formed in opposition to sort of the Andrew Jackson cult of personality. Right. Uh, it was it was this idea that we don't you know, that it is undemocratic to have this um, uh, charismatic, uh, you know, again, leadership by by one person as opposed to. Uh, you know, yeah. an, an idea, uh, and that that sort of flowed through and, and sort of imbued, I think, Republican philosophy for for years. Is there is this resistance to the strongman demagogue type uh, populist uh, type type figure? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know what what we're seeing is, and I think it's something that's that's I don't know, maybe it hasn't been measured very well, but. I think part of it is Trump res- has a lot of resonance with independent voters. Yeah. And I think that that well, makes a difference too, mm-hmm. that there are, there are people now that. who are in that camp, in the Republican camp, in the Trump camp, that are, are non-traditional Republicans, if you will. Mm, I don't know if I agree with that so much, but I will say he has a lot of resonance with the base. Yeah. And so, but I mean, your, your larger point, I, I agree with, and that a lot of it is just this fear of being swept up in the pro-Trump populist wave uh, on the base, basically. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, there's that. You know, there's one other thing I wanted to mention uh, uh, is, especially since I, you know, I said that in the regular show, we'd mention it, Canada. Canada became the second country in the world to legalize pot. Uh, Uruguay uh, was the first. So Canada is the first, you know, kind of like wealthy country to fully legalize it. Uh, And that's for possession, home growing, sales for adults. Uh, And so I I think that's really interesting. Uh, I wanted to get your take on it, Jay. Well, what do you think should, I mean, this isn't a Canadian politics show, but do you think the U.S. should follow suit? I guess. Oh, absolutely not. Um, 
I was I was trying to do like one of my, my little again clever sound effects and it just came up. But um, I was going to say the, the Samuel L. Jackson piece from Pulp Fiction about well it's legal or no that John Travolta right. it's legal uh-huh. but it's not one hundred percent legal. Um, uh, I, I look I, I think uh, as as these things play out um, as it's playing out in the states. Uh, recreational marijuana use, uh, it, it's going to raise a lot of other issues and states will will start to say maybe this wasn't such a great idea. Um, you know, so much of things like, like drug legalization um, matters. The, the, another big factor is just the culture of the place and of the country. And again, that's what made me think of the, the Pulp Fiction piece right. of the, it's legal, it's not 100% legal. And they, um, that you know, if there is a, a, a culture that can sort of deal with it better, uh, yeah. uh, you know, may, and maybe the Canadians can, I don't know. Um, the, the sense I've, I've gotten it that from states that have legalized has, has been, it's, uh, you know, it, you're, you're sort of seeing this, the influx of potheads, you're seeing difficulty in, in businesses, I, I finding employer employees. I don't, uh, I don't think that's, so. ah, well, I disagree with that, but I see your, your point, and to a, to an extent, I agree with you. I think the U.S. shouldn't do a full-on federal government passes a law to make it automatically legal in every state for for all the reasons you point out, and also because I do believe in, in federalism in in many cases, you know, as a as yeah. a but laboratories of democracy. Exactly. But what I would Let's like see how it works. What I would like to see is the federal government changing or passing legislation to leave it up to the states. So, for instance, take away the federal prohibitions, uh, remove it from Schedule 1, which will make it a lot easier for real research to happen on this, which is incredibly tough to do now. We, we need more information on this. And so that way it sets up a situation where if states want to restrict it in various ways, that's perfectly fine. If they don't, that's fine. Businesses won't be able to, I mean, businesses will be able to to work with banks, do other stuff. And so I do want to see it left up to the states. But as it exists now, that's still fairly difficult. And the fact that it's a Schedule One drug, which almost anyone who studies this says is just ridiculous at the highest category of most addictive, awful yeah. drugs, you know, and, and the biggest thing to me is that we do need to know more. We do need to do more research on this. I want to see that because I believe in going where the evidence takes me. And when when research is so hard to do because it's on Schedule 1, that's really hard to make happen. And so that's the kind of national drug drug law change I'd like to see. What do you think? All right. Yeah, no, I, I don't have any uh, big, uh, big objection and changing the scheduling um, uh, to allow more research. That's I, I, I'm I'm opposed to the um, I, I think it's it's difficult to. Why make it a federal crime? I guess I'm saying let the states yeah, just no, no, decide. I, I think I think that's there's there's some wisdom in that. Um, I, it's always been sort of my thought that there's uh, there are a whole lot of plenty of federal crimes that that don't need to be federal crimes. They sure. can be exactly. well prosecuted and taken care of by the states. Exactly. Um, but you know it, it's you know Congress got it uh, in its mind somewhere that they ought to you know. Prohibit this too. They watch Reefer Madness, um, and yeah, there you yeah, go. Yeah, there so. are. Well, there are. Let's put this way: I think there would still be some. Um, uh, for example, you could you could outlaw trafficking, but uh, you know, change possession laws, that sort of thing. Um, sure, sure. I think I think there is there are some responsibilities Congress would still have. The, the federal government would still have in in regard to regulation of commerce and and look the interstate flow of. Of uh, of marijuana from one state to another, I, I think there's still a responsibility for the federal government to 
to regulate that. Yeah, especially uh, if it's if it's going to states that have different tax regimes and to avoid that yeah. or going from a, a legal pot state to a not legal state or if there are different standards. Absolutely. Right. I agree with you entirely. So, yeah, so that's why I, I wouldn't go with the full uh, you know, decriminalize everything. But but no, I, I look, I, I think if uh, I am all for states uh, choosing their own routes and prosecuting their own crimes t- uh, to the best they can. So all right, well, I'm I'm with you there, and and let's end on that note of a, on that note of comedy and agreement and all that I'm kind of stuff. Oh, all right, all right, what's that? Well, I was gonna I was, I was gonna throw in a couple other. Oh things. yeah, please to if you do. So sorry, go no, ahead. This, I, these I, are yeah, these are um, the two things I, I just wanted to to raise. I occasionally in my my life outside this podcast. Uh, become involved in in uh, political activities, political campaigns, um, and I had I had reason to uh, come in contact with the new Facebook policies for political advertising, uh, and I thought you'd be interested in this. Yeah, definitely. I, I'm sorry, because, I I totally forgot about that, but yeah, this is really great. Go definitely talk so, about this. Uh, there was, and it, it's sort of there's this weird sort of frustration thing if if you have a um, and I'll give an example. It's sort of, hey, uh, this uh, campaign is having a a fundraiser next week. Uh, please come on out and join us. Uh, so as soon as you make that that post, which goes to whoever likes the the page, uh, there's no restrictions there. Uh, then Facebook, uh, for any of you who have commercial or or other Facebook pages instantly starts trying to sell you on, we want to boost this post. Come on, you want to boost it? Um, you know, uh-huh. just five bucks, five bucks, you boost it and you'll get, you know, you know, 20,000 people see this and 20 bucks and, you know, a million people see it. And, and then, then sort of there's this whole big, want to boost it, want to boost it. And it, it, they just won't leave you alone. So finally you click the button and say, all right, five bucks, I'll boost it. Uh, then you, you walk through this whole big demographic selection piece of who do you want it to go to and who don't you want to go to. And again, that's, that's a little, uh, time consuming and, and I don't know, not particularly helpful. I suppose it depends on what you're doing. Um, but so then after, after all that, um, uh, you will get a message from Facebook saying that the boost is not approved because it's a political ad and they have to confirm, uh, the uh, correct identity. So the, the process now that, that Facebook follows, and apparently this was not the process before, uh, I don't really know what the process was before, but it, it's fairly intense. Uh, the first thing is the, the person who has set up this the Facebook political page has to sign in with their Facebook password. So you've got okay, one check there. Uh, at that point, there is a double verification where there is a code sent to uh, a cell phone number. So then you got to get your cell phone, get the code, plug in the code, plug in the code. Uh, then they say, okay, we need, uh, you need to either upload a photo ID of your either driver's license or passport, both sides. Wow. Uh, which you then do that, then that gets approved. After which Facebook says, we will mail you a letter in, in 48 to 72 hours. Uh, and we, there will be another code in the letter. Uh, which you can then log on, go through all your other login <laughs> requirements, and put in that other code. Uh, and after which, presumably, uh, Facebook will allow the allow you to boost your post. Um, wow! But that's a lot of stuff. That is. That is. And, and and it's one of those. There there may be more steps beyond that. Uh, the situation I'm familiar with. Uh, we're still waiting on the letter. So <laughs> it's. Uh, but but it's it's one of these. Um, you know, again, sort of an overkill. And I just thought it was it was interesting 
on the one hand, from a, a First Amendment standpoint, now, look, obviously, or I should say a free speech, because there's, there's really no First Amendment issue. I mean, right. Facebook is a private company. It's not a government actor. Uh, it can put whatever rules it wants on, on how it boosts posts. Um, but if the idea is, is uninhibited free speech, uh, wow, that's a lot of stuff to go through uh, for uh, you want to put out uh, an ad saying, uh, hey, come to come to this candidate's fundraiser next week. Um, uh, so, uh, again, I, I just on the one hand, I mean, Facebook is is obviously stepping up its game uh, against the, the Russian bots and so forth. Um, so, you know, I guess I guess in some ways I, I'm not I'm not necessarily opposed to this. I mean, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm just, I just think it's, wow, this is a lot. And I, I thought people ought to know that. Yeah, that, that is some, I, I guess I, I feel like I feel for you personally that it's rough because of course you're, you know, you're an above board sort of person and you are not a Russian troll, but, uh, I, I think probably, uh, it's, it really is a good thing, especially with all the, with all the publicity about all the things Facebook isn't doing and so forth. It is in a way nice to know that they are making it so difficult for well, they have to make it difficult for you because they want to make it difficult for, sure. you know, Putin's friends and that sort of thing, who exactly. obviously would be, you know, tr- would be trying to post stuff on your behalf if this wasn't. You know, <laughs> but, but I mean, the other the other the irony, of course, though, is if if you know what you're doing and you want to put in the time, it still probably isn't that hard to get around it. Right. But you have to be willing to put in the time and do all yeah, that. You got to sort stuff. of put in the time and make sure you really set up your fake identity and fake address and you're you know, you get the letter and you got the right. So, you know, that sort of thing. So, yeah, yeah. I'm not advocating uh, anyone do that, of course, but I'm just you know. right. Well, that is really interesting. So yeah, so like I said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I cut you off. I totally forgot about that story. I was just I thought, my God, our 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 uh, our, our first show went long, and I didn't want to you know keep you know. for all morning. But I yeah, I'm going to shout out one last real quick thing just oh, because sure, I thought ahead. it was important, and it sort of uh, sort of goes to what I was reading, but it's not reading. Um, uh, Chris Pratt's acceptance speech at the MTV uh, Movie Awards. Um, you typically, I'm, I'm not typically someone who, uh, you know, watches these things or cares what celebrities say. But uh, if any folks are interested, um, it's really compelling. It, it is a, uh, it's it, Chris Pratt is actually sort of a, a uh, uh, you know, vocal. I don't know the vocal, I, mean, I suppose now, but uh, Christian uh, in Hollywood, uh, and in his uh, speech, uh, it was really. Just something very, very different and uh, very welcoming, I think, after, uh, you know, when you compare to the week before, the the Robert De Niro, um, F. Trump sure. uh, sort of tirade. Uh, if you if you take a look at uh, some of the things that Chris Pratt said, um, a lot of them, and very much with a, a spirit of, of, which I think is the appropriate sort of Christian and really American spirit of, of humility of, of we are all flawed people and none of us are perfect and uh, you know sort of there but for the grace of God uh, go I know so anyway I, I I was really surprised pleasantly surprised because I've always I've been a fan of Chris Pratt um, Parks and Rec is probably the greatest political satire television program ever um, uh, and uh, so check that out if you're at all interested you can probably find it just put yeah Chris Pratt. Um, MTV. Interesting. I, I hadn't heard about that. I, yeah. I, I definitely will have to check that out. Thanks so much. 
All right. Now that I haven't cut you off, Jay, sorry about that. Now we, we will. And thanks, everyone, for uh, for listening and for being uh, a supporter of the show. You know, uh, let us know what you think about these things that we're doing. We, we hope you enjoy them. I, I certainly do. Like you said, Jay, uh, at, at some earlier point, it is kind of fun to just be a little more relaxed and cut loose and not have to worry about those annoying facts sometimes. Just kind of, yeah. you know, but anyway, it's not like we're, you know, we're all buttoned up and straight laced during a normal show or anything. But yeah. So anyway, that does it for this one. And we will, uh, of course, uh, talk to you guys next week. Yep. Bye.